0: Well, today, the vestry and the capital Campaign Committee has declared Do the Work Sunday. Do the Work Sunday. And I don't know how many of you know where that comes from. If you looked at the materials, you might have figured it out. But it actually comes, the, the phrase Do the Work comes from 1 Chronicles 28. And you actually have to look in the New International Version, because the Bible you have in the pew in front of you, in the Pew Rack, the New Revised Standard, doesn't have that exact phrase. But let me read to you the passage so you understand the context as to what it is they're saying in the byline for this day. David also said to Solomon his son, Be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you, until all the work of the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. So that's really the context of this, the service for the temple of the Lord. So the focus is going to be the Scripture, but I'm going to talk about in the context of the Scripture for today what it is we're doing here, which is we're going to do the work to complete the work of the temple. Now, if you're a visitor today, or you don't see yourself as directly connected to St. Luke's, that doesn't give you an excuse to tune me out right now, okay? Because a lot of what I'm going to be saying in the context of talking about this do the work really has to do with our lives as Christians and what it is that we're committed to and what it is that we're involved in and why we're involved in it, in investing ourselves in this work of the ministry. This building. And the building that we're talking about doing here, by the way, is not about just building a building. It's not that we are building a monument unto ourselves. It's not something frivolous. The whole point and purpose of what it is that we're doing here has to do with the fact that we want to expand the kingdom of God. The fact that we want to make disciples here. Making disciples through our children, the children's ministry wing, that we're going to raise up a new generation of Christian disciples. The fact that we want to have fellowship, the fact that we want to have classes and conferences here for people in order to make disciples, in order that we can have an impact on this community and this culture and that this place is a welcoming place. And we've been talking about doing what it is we're embarking on, by the way, for 20 years. Now, I realize some of you haven't been around that long here. But we've been talking about, when we started talking about expanding and updating this sanctuary, that we completed the work in 99. That discussion began 20 years ago. And the parish hall and the children's ministry wing was phase two. We never got to phase two. Why didn't we get to phase two? Because when we were gearing up for phase two in 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003 happened, and all the challenges and problems with the national church, so we put it on hold. And after a couple of years, we started gearing up again, and we started talking about what it is we're going to do, and we started making plans, and we were getting ready for the capital campaign. Then what happened? The recession. The recession. So it's gotten to the point that this has been put off now for 15 years of doing the work of what we need to do. And it's so sad. The parish hall is woefully outdated, inadequate, run down. The children's ministry area is the same. So you need to understand, it's not like we're building a spa or a pool, okay? That's not what we're doing. And as much as I am so excited about what it is we're doing and that we need to do it, part of me, part of me, would have loved for us to wait until I retired to do this. Being totally honest. Because I realize that this is hard. In order to do what we need to do here, it's hard. It requires sacrifice. It it involves time, giving, inconvenience. Inconvenience. And actually, I don't know if and when I'll ever retire anyway, so just so you know that. But we need to be about the work of building the temple. Of doing what the Lord needs to have done here so that we can move forward for the sake of the gospel. And we need to do the work. You know, if you look at page, and you don't need to do this, but page 908 of the Book of Common Prayer, that's where you would find the lectionary readings for today. And that's why I'm really thankful that it worked out this way. Because if you were to look at all the potential readings for today, we have a couple of them. We have Ezekiel 31, and we have Mark's Gospel, Chapter 4. But you also have the Psalm for the day, and you also have Second Corinthians 5. All of them have to do with, at some point, talking about the kingdom of God. And there's different references to what that means. You have in the gospel that Jesus was talking about this bush or this tree that grows up. And the birds of the air make their nests in its boughs. Okay, so you got this term nest, which is about home, which is about shelter, which is about where children are nurtured. In... Ezekiel chapter 31 you have reference to kingdom and nation. Same idea. And if you were to look in Corinthians you would see this reference to tents. All of them have to do with what it is that is your provision for where you are in terms of your shelter, in your meeting, with each other for fellowship and also with the Lord. All of them have that connection to them. And that's what I want us to think about right now as we go to this passage because I'm going to focus on Ezekiel chapter 31. Who or where do you find your refuge, your shelter, your spiritual home and what does that mean for you? Because really when you start talking about our church home, This is where we as a parish family are meant to grow and blossom and be disciples and make disciples. And that's really what the parable that Jesus is talking about with the people of God, as well as Ezekiel, is talking about. Now, Ezekiel is an odd bird. Okay? If you ever, and I know some people say that about me, by the way. Okay? So he's in good company, I'm in good company. But Ezekiel has some strange things about him. If you were to read Ezekiel cover to cover, all the chapters of Ezekiel. But let me tell you what Ezekiel has that's really, really positive and good. If you were to go to Ezekiel chapter 13 or chapter 34, you would see reference to the false teachers, the false shepherds, the false prophets. So Ezekiel talks about how they mislead the people and how they operate. So that's one thing you see. If you were to look in Ezekiel chapter 15 you would see this reference to the vine, which is woven into Isaiah, Isaiah 5, which we see Jesus make reference to several times when he's teaching and he's preaching, the vine. But that was a theme throughout the people of Israel and what it means to be connected to and in relationship with the Lord. And then you come to Ezekiel chapter 36, which has one of my favorite passages in it, and it's something that Meredith and I have prayed for our children down through the years. Let me read this to you. A new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. Isn't that what we want for our children? Isn't that what we want? for other people around us, a new spirit, a new heart where the Lord is working in you so that what your desire is, is to follow his ordinances, if you really understand it, to give you that soft heart, that heart of flesh, because that's what he wants for your life, and that's what I want for all people. That's what I want for my children. That's what I want for the people of St. Luke's. And that's what I want for the people who we have yet to touch with the gospel. Is this new heart, this new spirit, this desire to follow God's ordinances. So Ezekiel writes that fabulous passage. And you know what comes on the heels of that? Ezekiel 37, the valley of the dry bones. You all know the song, right? Them bones, them bones, right? I'm not going to sing it. But that's where that comes from, the valley of the dry bones. And really, if you look at our parish hall and our preschool place, that is dry bones, okay? And that's what we need to do is put life, put life in that. That's what the Lord wants to do with our hearts and our lives. And he wants what we have here to reflect that as we seek to reach out with the gospel and we seek to welcome people and grow disciples And use our facilities for that purpose. So I want to now launch into this passage in Ezekiel chapter 31. So you either will want to have your bulletin in front of you or your pew Bible page 784. Because I want to talk about this context. And the first word that you're going to catch that you think gives you an idea of what this passage is about is the word Pharaoh. Okay? And probably, most likely, if that's the word that you focus on, you're probably not tracking with where this passage is historically. Because any time we see Pharaoh, what do we typically think about? We think of Moses and the Passover. And if that's what you're trying to connect to this passage, you've missed it. You've got to come forward several hundred years in order to understand what this passage is about. Because this has nothing to do with Moses and the Exodus. It has to do with... The people of Jerusalem and Judea. The southern kingdom. Okay? The northern kingdom has already been conquered by Assyria. That was in 721. This is the southern kingdom of Israel. That didn't fall until 587. Jerusalem fell in 587. And this is right before it. And the people of Israel are seeking after the Egyptians and Pharaoh to rescue them from this looming threat of a nation that's about to come and conquer them. It's not Assyria, by the way. We'll get to that. It's another nation. So what Ezekiel is doing at this point is he's saying, Pharaoh, you don't want to come and help these people. And the people of Jerusalem, he's basically saying, you don't want to seek Pharaoh's help. Why? Because of what happened to the northern kingdom. And that's where this whole reference to Assyria comes from. Are you tracking with me so far? Because it's a little complicated. Assyria is the reference that Ezekiel uses. Why would he use Assyria? Here's why. Because Assyria was this incredible nation. Nineveh was its capital. Jonah... Jonah and the whale, or Jonah in the great fish, makes reference to Nineveh being a city that it takes three days to walk across because it's such a great city. And it was a beautiful city. And Assyria was this incredibly powerful and beautiful kingdom. That's what you have reference to here. And it's actually, if you know history, and, you, and if you end up being one of those who actually wants to look up what I'm talking about, I doubt that many of you will do that. But if you you do, this is actually the Neo-Assyrian Empire. Historians love to do stuff like Assyrian Empire, Neo-Assyrian Empire. So this is the Neo-Assyrian Empire, and they conquered Israel. Not only did they conquer Israel because Egypt was involved in the equation, they conquered Eastern Egypt. And they were getting close and close to conquering the whole thing. But they started to fall apart. So that's why Ezekiel is saying there was this huge kingdom, Assyria. It was an empire. It was beautiful. It was powerful. It was wealthy. They had everything they needed and everything they wanted. What happened? What happened? Well, Jonah warned them. Jonah said if you repent, the Lord will spare you. In fact, the Lord wants to use you as an instrument of judgment On Israel. And so the people of Nineveh repented temporarily. See, that's a lot of times what people do. They repent temporarily. And when success creeps in, people grow complacent in their faith, people grow comfortable, and they lose sight of the Lord in their lives because they want to go their own way. You can watch that happen down through the centuries, kingdom after kingdom. All the kingdoms that were around Israel. You had the Assyrians. Then you had the Babylonians. Then you had the Medes. Then you had the Persians. Then you had the Greeks. Then you had the Romans. One after another. And the Lord tries every means to reach people. He tries everything. Success, if I bless the people, they'll worship me, they'll be thankful. And for a time that happens, but then what happens? Because we're blessed, we grow complacent. Because we have, we want to serve ourselves and we drift away from the Lord. So the Lord sends judgment. And when people are judged, what happened when the people were in Egypt, and they cried out to the Lord. The Lord ended up judging the Egyptians and bringing the people out. And then Israel established a kingdom, became successful, and then what did they do? They grew complacent, and they were judged. And then the Assyrians conquered them, and on it goes. The Lord is always trying to reach people through whatever means. When they come to Him, He's trying to bless them, to encourage them in their faith. When they're disobedient, he tries to judge them or bring something into their life to draw them back to himself through the repentance, through a renewed spirit. God tries everything to reach people. And some people refuse. They always will. But what the Lord desired for Israel is that they would come back. See, Assyria, once it became this great conquering nation, became so full of themselves that what did they do? Look at the passage. Look at the passage. This is right after all the prose. And you get to the paragraph in verse 10. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because it towered high and set its tops among the clouds, and its heart was proud. And what happens when our hearts grow proud? Read down a little ways. He has dealt with it as its wickedness deserves. See, when our hearts grow proud, when we think we're the be-all, end-all, when we say we don't need the Lord anymore or we know better than the Lord, and wickedness creeps into our lives, that's when judgment comes. And that's what Ezekiel is saying here. That pride is the beginning of one's downfall. We see it with Adam and Eve. You know, I heard a line not long ago that I think is really appropriate to our lives, and I think it speaks not only to this passage, but to everyone. The line is catch this line you will either seek to love God. Or you will seek to be God. Is that a great line? I love that. You're either going to seek to love God. Jesus said the first commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And the end result is you will love your neighbors yourself. And if you don't seek to love God, you're going to want to seek to be God. God. You're going to want to say what right or wrong is. You're going to want people and all of life to serve you. You're going to want to be successful and happy and comfortable. That everything about what you believe and how you live will be about you. And the question is, which one do you choose? Loving God or being God? See, that's what pride does. Pride brings us to that place where we want to be God. We want to be the one in charge. We have a proud heart. And what happened to every nation down through history that would have a proud heart, that would depart from the Lord? They would fall. And the end is not pretty. Once again, go back to your passage. What ends up happening? On the mountains and all the valleys, its branches have fallen, and its boughs lie broken in the watercourses in the land, and all the peoples of the earth went away from its shade and left it. On its fallen trunks settle all the birds of the air, and among its boughs, its boughs, lodge all the wild animals. All this is in order that no trees by the water may grow to lofty height. Continuing on, for all of them are handed over to death, to the world below, along with mortals, to those who go down to the pit. In other words, what the Lord is saying through Ezekiel, what Jesus says in the Gospels, the end is not pretty for those who depart from the Lord. There is judgment. See, the mistake that people sometimes make, particularly when they're complacent and proud, the same mistake that Israel made, hey, we're the chosen people. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what we believe. We're the chosen people. God's going to take care of us. And he sent the prophets to say, no, you need to repent. You need to come back to the Lord because you're not really seeking Him with your heart. This has become all about you. You believe what you want. You practice what you want. You do what you want. You have sought to be God or create gods that reflect you. And so there's a warning. There's judgment looming. And this next nation that is coming up, that Ezekiel's trying to warn them about, that's saying Assyria fell already, Egypt, Pharaoh, beware because this nation's next and going to come after you, that would be Babylon. Or Neo-Babylon. The Babylonians were going to come and they would eventually cause Jerusalem to fall. And the people would be taken away and the land would be plundered. Fifty years later, fifty years, it doesn't take long with some nations, Babylon would fall. And a man by the name of Cyrus would allow the Jews to return. And what is the first thing that the Jews did when they returned to the promised land? Do you remember? They built the temple. They built the temple. After they repented. After they were in exile. And when they came back, they built the temple. Why? Because they said the first thing that we need to be about is to have the Lord at the center. Of our lives. At the center of our nation. If we hope to be a nation again. If we hope to be blessed again. And then what did they do? They built the wall. They wanted definition. They wanted security for the people of God. Which is exactly what we want. We want safety for our children. We want definition. We want an ability. A place to grow and to fellowship. After they repented. What happened to Rome? Rome, probably one of the greatest empires, if not the greatest empire. Rome was powerful. Rome was wealthy. Rome was expansive. And who was God? Who was God? Caesar. We worship ourselves. And when we worship ourselves, what begins to happen? We saw it with Rome. There was interior, internal deterioration. Immorality crept in. They self-destructed. But there was something else going on simultaneous with that. And that's because of this man called Jesus Christ who called these group of men the apostles around him. Uneducated. Not skilled. Not trained religious leaders. Who then went out and made disciples. And slowly but surely what Rome stood for. The immorality. And not only the immorality but the slavery and the cruelty to other people. Slowly the Christian nation that was bubbling up. God's kingdom that was bubbling up would also cause Rome... As a corrupt culture, as a worldly power, Rome would crumble. And the Lord would move in. Don't you think we see some of that today in the United States? That's why we as the church need to be the ones that begin to fill in because of the culture beginning to crumble. Dishonesty, lack of integrity, lack of care for people, immorality creeping in, self-centeredness. That we need to build the temple. That this would be a beacon of light. Not just an external building. Don't ever think that. This is not about a monument unto ourselves. Because we need to be about not only building the structure, but working in people's lives. We need to be about growing as disciples, about having that new heart, that transformed life, and that we need to be the lighthouse reaching out to other people. You know, it's interesting, a lot of times when you do something like this, they call it a capital campaign, right? That's what it's oftentimes called. Some of you have heard my story, my background before, my personal witness, but I was a good little Pharisee when I was younger, my early teen years. And I kept saying to the Lord, Lord, there's got to be something different to this than just the rules, than just going to church. There's got to be something more to this. So it put me on a search, and I came across uh, this ministry called Young Life, which is a Christian outreach for high school kids. And I went there for a couple of years during my high school years and eventually I gave my life to the Lord. And when you give your life to the Lord in young life, they immediately want to get you involved in a Bible study. Does anyone know what the Bible study in young life is called? Campaigners. That's what they called the Bible study that you got involved with when you were in young life. They called it campaigners. Why did they call it campaigners? Let me tell you what, Because number one, you're now beginning the campaign for the Lord. You're now working for him, for his campaign. To expand the kingdom of God. So one of the things that you did was you got involved in a Bible study and you grew personally. And what they said is you need to get involved in ministry. So I immediately became a lay reader and a guitar player in my church. And they said you also need to get involved with giving your faith away, inviting other people. So they would give us these stupid pieces of paper to give out at school to invite other kids. So we would go around the high school inviting our friends by passing these pieces of paper out to grow the Young Life Group, to bring people to a place where they would hear the gospel. I've never known faith apart from growing and reaching out and giving since I was 15 years old. And I didn't start out to be a preacher, by the way. I started out to be an engineer. That didn't work. God had other plans. And so in college, I changed my major. But I have never stopped campaigning for the Lord. And guess what I'm doing today? I'm campaigning. We're launching a campaign. I think it's why some people actually stayed away today. But we're here, not only as Christians, not only as disciples, we are to be his campaigners. That we ourselves are seeking to grow, to build the kingdom. That we are seeking to reach out in his name for the kingdom. That we're seeking to serve others For the kingdom, and we want to make other disciples who reach out to other people. And we want to bring the young people of this church up through the faith so that they grow in the knowledge and love of the Lord. And we have a new generation coming up of Christians. That's what this is about. Make no mistake about it. In Acts chapter 2, the passage about Pentecost. Let me read to you. When the spirit was poured out and the apostles started preaching, let me read to you who was touched by that. And how is it we hear each one of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judean, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, guess what? Assyrians and Babylonians. To Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt. Oh, Egypt, really? Do you know that some of the Egyptians came out with Moses in the Exodus too, and the parts of Libya belonging to belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome and both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. Boy, do we need to reach out to Arabs right now? You want to defeat Muslims? make them Christians. We hear them speaking about God's deeds of power and all were amazed. That's what we want. That's what we want. And my prayer for you is that you are a kingdom builder. You are a campaigner. You are a disciple seeking to make disciples. And that what you leave for your family as a legacy isn't just about your own personal success and wealth that you pass on to them. It isn't just about an education that you facilitate for them. It is about a witness to the Lord that because you give to this place, you will allow them to know that you are committed to Him, that you will allow a place to be here, That they can come to when they visit you and possibly when they move down here themselves. Building his kingdom and leaving a legacy, a witness. That's what this is about. And I invite you to be a part of it. And build his kingdom. Please bow with me in prayer. David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. Lord God, we live in a challenging day. The demands on our lives, the challenges to our lives, because of culture drifting, because of the demands of a busy life, the fears of how we'll spend our money, of whether we'll have enough for retirement. Of whether our children and grandchildren will be provided for. And Lord, the most essential and important thing is where we spend eternity. And it's clear from your word that there's judgment. Lord, I pray that our first concern would be for you and for your kingdom. That we would seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. And that all these other things, the values, the priorities, the expense of our energy, our time, our resources, would be defined and clarified because we seek you first. Lord, I pray right now that you would make clear your call on your people. That we would seek to be your disciples. That we would seek to grow your kingdom. And that we might bring those that we love to know you and to spend eternity with you, with us. Lord, help us to be kingdom builders. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.